I was upset. I didn't think I had what it takes. It took a while to admit anything was wrong. Diet and exercise sounded intimidating. But small, easy goals made it easy to start. Every situation is different. There are many paths to victory, but the end goal is all the same. This is the Weight Loss Podcast with Matt and Courtney, a couple who committed to a strategy and lost a combined 100 kilograms. When it comes to weight loss, you don't just need encouragement, you need a strategy. Hello and welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast. My name is Courtney and next to me as always is Matt. Hello. And we are here to talk about sleep. Yeah, we've just woken up. And figured it's time to talk about a topic that, well, I mean, we could say this like with everything else we talk about, we probably should have covered before now. Yes. So So, a lot of people don't think much about sleep. Well, when it comes to just talking about the topic of weight loss, what are the sort of questions that get asked the most? You know, what should I eat? Uh, Should I cut carbohydrates? Am I having too much protein? Does protein make me bulky? Should I do more exercise? Should I do more cardio? Mm Mm-hmm. What question, what question do we not get asked? Am I sleeping enough? How about my sleep? <laughs> yes, no, it is not the top of everyone's question list when it comes to what am I doing wrong? How can I be doing it better? Yet yeah, it's actually an X factor Yes. when it comes to weight loss. Uh, I know it's something that I can speak to a lot personally, given how awful my sleeping patterns used to be and what came as a result of that. Courtney, did you, in your past life, I guess you'd say, ever have any real sleeping issues? I suppose, actually, with your line of work, you would. Yeah, I definitely did. I worked in hospitality for many, many years. So with that came a lot of late nights. So they weren't every night, but definitely on weekends, I used to work. um, I wouldn't call them exactly night shifts because they weren't overnight, but they were definitely late nights. Um, I would get home maybe one o'clock in the morning, between one and two o'clock in the morning a lot of the time. And sometimes I would have to uh, follow that back up with getting back up at seven and back to work again the next morning. For a day shift. For a day shift. Um, Didn't happen all the time. We tried to avoid doing those quick turnaround type of a type of a shifts so on the days that I didn't have a quick turnaround I would then sleep until like 10 11 o'clock in the morning so I would go to bed very late I would get up very late and then I would get up and and go back to work again and sort of the pattern would continue there and then during the week when I was home at at a at a I guess quote unquote normal time I would still stay up late though. So I was always then, I sort of got used to staying up late because of my weekend work that even during the week when I wasn't necessarily at work, I would still stay up late. So, you know, 12 o'clock at night, midnight sort of thing. And then I would go to bed and then I'd be up again at sort of six, seven o'clock in the morning. So it just wasn't very it wasn't a good rhythm for me I found that I was always tired during the day Um, I always felt tired I would drive to work sometimes in the morning and my I'd feel my eyes just wanting to close so I always felt tired um, throughout the day 
I didn't sleep very well at night even. I just didn't ever feel like I had very good sleep. Um, And then obviously, I think I've spoken about this in previous podcasts, but in my early 20s, I suffered from um, a bout of severe anxiety. So that would also um, make sleeping difficult because I would go to bed at night and I would lay there and I would just think about everything that had happened during the day. I would think about things that are coming up. I'd think about things that had happened in the past and I'd work myself up about all these different things that it would just take me hours and hours and hours to go to sleep. Mm, I well, so I was not good, shall we say. So for me, when I was at my most unhealthy, my sleeping patterns would often be uh, staying up at night till about 2, 3, 4 a.m. Uh, a late night uh, up for me would be 5 a.m. Mm. And then just going to bed and just staying in bed until I suppose whenever I rolled back out, which might be somewhere between nine o'clock and midday. Yeah. If it's on the weekend, possibly possibly after midday. And then, you know, half the day is gone, but I'd stay up super late anyway. But even then, when I would go to bed, I'd have a lot of trouble falling asleep. Mm. So even if times where I knew I was tired, I would just sit there or lie there staring into nothing, but not being able to actually go to sleep. Then was the an issue I had where if I did or when I did manage to get to sleep, even the, the slightest noise would wake me up like a bird hmm. outside or where I used to live, a toad. Right. Or heavy rain mm. would wake me up. And it probably goes without saying that back then, in conjunction with those sleeping patterns, my energy levels were nowhere. So I'd be t- being tired for me was normal. Yeah. So I never really understood what it was like to feel alert and energetic until I was not tired every day. Because mm. for me, being tired and being lethargic was normal. And it also was normal for me just to feel like I was in a bit of a haze mm. most days because I wasn't going to bed till so, so far after midnight. Right. I've since learned over the years for myself that the more hours of sleep I get before midnight, the better I am the the day after. Mm. So even if I get, let's say I get eight hours of sleep, it's a different eight hours depending on when I went to bed. Yeah, okay. I, I agree with that. So the thing is, even though you know, we sort of covered it or touched on it a bit on the intro to the show, I personally, as a trainer, have seen uh, poor sleep patterns destroy transformations and sabotage weight loss efforts. Well, can we touch on that then? Can we touch on how it affects weight loss? Yeah, well, well let's get into this. That's probably a, a good sort of yeah. segue there. Um, what most people wouldn't be aware of is that even just one night of partial sleep deprivation could co- can cause your body to respond to meals as if you were a diabetic. Mm. Wow. Um, Just from one night of sleep deprivation. Now, if you're talking about someone who regularly has, you know, dysfunctional sleep patterns, there's going to be prices to pay with that, which we'll start to get a bit more into through this episode. So the first thing I want to sort of look at now is, let's look at the question here, you know, how much sleep do we actually need? Yeah, that's a good, good place to start. Now... The average adult 
um, is going to, you know, the recommendation is anywhere between 7.5 to 9 hours. Mm. Now, that can also vary from person to person. I know that you, Courtney, do better on something more towards the 9. Yeah, yeah, I, I really should get 8 hours of sleep. Well, you, you personally, on anything less than 8, you tend to struggle. I do. I do. And I think as well, Matt, what you were talking about before as well is there's a difference between getting eight hours of sleep though, where I'm sleeping from, you know, midnight until whatever and going to bed at sort of nine o'clock mm. and sleeping through for eight hours. There's a massive so, difference. Um, I know on a, if I get to bed, probably I'd say if I'm asleep before 10, 30, 11 o'clock, uh, I can get, you know, even seven and a half hours and I feel fantastic. Mm. the next day uh, but if I get the same amount of sleep having gone to bed after midnight it, I know it's just not the same I can feel it yeah the moment I wake up my yeah. eyes feel heavy I just haven't got quite the sort of the spring in my step I guess you'd say yeah I'm now, the same I know there you know you listening might be one of the very 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 rare people that can function at normal levels on six hours of sleep a night or less but um that's rough. That that could be around. Researchers estimate that could be about three percent of the population mm-hmm. that may contain a gene that enables them to function at normal levels on six hours of sleep a night or less. Now, that's not me. Well, that's not many people. If we're talking about three percent of the entire no. population, so that that would mean that you know the remaining ninety-seven percent of us are at risk of sleep deprivation. So after less than six hours of shut-eye each night. So what are the signs then that we're not getting enough sleep other than just being tired? Is tired, Matt, the only sign that we're not getting enough sleep? No, it's definitely a sign, mm. but there are a number of signs that you know, you're not getting enough, I guess you say, quality sleep. Yeah, okay. So yes, waking up tired is indeed one of them. But as you touched on before, Courtney, when you said you when you were driving to work some mornings after doing, I guess you'd say, a late night mm. and backing it up, you'd almost fall asleep while driving. Oh, yeah. I can definitely feel my eyes wanting to close. So that there, that is one of the signs um, that could indicate you're not getting enough quality sleep. Uh, you can also have it where you're a bit lethargic or drowsy or just feeling down, if that makes sense, in meetings or in discussions. Uh, and I've had that uh, when I was at work, when I was younger and had very poor sleep patterns, sitting down at a table for a meeting, for example, I'd almost want to doze off. Yeah, so or, I've, I've definitely had that. Or being in, um, being in like a conference yep. where someone's giving a lecture or a presentation and I'm at the back trying not to go to sleep. Yeah. Even though the, the content being delivered actually personally interested me. Yeah, and you got that head like, jerk thing because your head just wants to fall yep <laughs> uh you also another sign of not getting enough quality sleep can be that you have a, a, a real intolerance for cold temperatures really yep another sign can be frequent upper um upper respiratory infections hmm. now let's get into the training side of things injuries mm. you can be more predisposed to injuries now i'm not necessarily talking about oh if you don't get enough sleep you're gonna you know dislocate your kneecap or shatter your ankle, it can just be niggles. Yeah. Muscle pulls, um, you know, sore tendons, uh, sore joints, etc. Mm. You just seem to be a little bit more predisposed to getting these, these these nicks, these wear and tear sort of nicks and niggles because you're not getting enough sleep because 
it's obvious, but it's worth saying, sleep is where your body repairs itself from what you're doing to it each day. Yeah. So much of the way our bodies change doesn't come through the exercise, that's the stimulation. The change comes through when we shut it down. Yeah. You also have an elevated resting heart rate. Hmm. So you can test your heart rate um, and everyone has... Um, you know, there's, there's, without getting into detail, there's not really the scope of this episode, but people of every age have like a, an average or normal resting heart rate. Mm. If you consider yourself a fairly active person leading a fairly healthy lifestyle and you still have an elevated resting heart rate when you're doing nothing, that can be a sign of not getting enough quality sleep. I've had that mm. even when I've become a trainer because every, every now and then I'll just, you know, check my resting heart rate. And if I'm sitting down doing nothing and my heart rate's still higher than what I know it should be, I know I'm not getting enough sleep. Yeah, that's a really good sign. Uh, you to be also able to look out for. You can also have high blood pressure. Mm. And touching or I suppose getting into what I, I sort of hinted at before in terms of how your body can respond to, to meals like a diabetic, you have insulin resistance. Ah. So you can imagine that you know, with having insulin resistance and we're putting food into our body, our body's responding to it like a diabetic and you know, putting, putting all this good glucose into our system, a good way to either not lose weight or in some cases actually gain weight. Mm. And you know, that can have a pretty big effect uh, on weight loss. Hmm. Now, Courtney, a question for you. Mm. When, um, I suppose before you and I met, when you were doing your sort of half and half exercise routines on the treadmill, did you ever notice any differences on, on days where you might have had enough sleep or enough quality sleep versus days when you didn't? Did it affect you in, in other ways? Before you and I met, I don't actually think that I paid much attention to my sleep, to be honest. So I don't know if I ever had true sort of workout days where I could say that I really had good quality sleep. Mm. Um, so that one would be hard for me personally to remember any times that I had really good quality sleep and I sort of felt really refreshed. But definitely once I had met you, I know it, it did work because once I had met you and I, something I started to pay more attention to, I could definitely tell the days that I, I worked out with energy as opposed to not with energy. Mm -hmm. It really sleep really zaps me of a lot of energy. If you know, well, do you notice it now um, with training where it might affect you? Not having the energy or you know poor sleep. Yeah, absolutely. In what way? Absolutely, just strength levels seem to be down. Um, you can feel it just in, like if I'm doing a weight session, I can feel it just in the warm up. Yes. So in the if straight away in the warm up, I can tell that this is going to be a shit workout. <laughs> because I just don't have the energy. And, you know, it's not uncommon for, for warm-ups to actually feel quite difficult because, you know, your muscles are cold and, and you're just warming up. But usually uh, when I have ha had poor sleep and I'm warming up, it's just a whole different level of hard, that warm-up. Like it feels like actual sets. Mm. And that's when I know that it's going to be a really long long weight session yeah a good way i could describe it is that when you're sort of trying to train on not enough sleep weights feel heavier than they should oh yeah absolutely it feels like 
you have to double check your sheet to say, did I really do this last week if I messed up my numbers? But yeah, and it can often take me by surprise because some of those days I don't actually feel physically that tired. Mm. Um, but until I get into the gym and I feel those weights and I think, wow, okay, I definitely have not had enough sleep. I've also noticed that uh, if I'm attending an intense cardio session, say, for example, a session of like hill runs or hill sprints, mm. I haven't got the explosion that I'm trying to take off. Yeah, definitely. Have you noticed that when you've done running sort of cardio-based sessions before? Yeah, definitely. And I feel like I haven't got the, um, the, the gas tank. You haven't that got the I gas tank. Usually have. You also don't have. You haven't got your high end speed. No, definitely haven't got the speed. But just in terms of like even just having the juice, like if I go into a stairs session or something like that, so I haven't got the explosive power. But then again, you know, doing like a stair session, that would always be a lot more difficult than a running session anyway. But I just don't have the tank. Like I feel like it's the whole thing's a grind. Like there's no part of it that is like. Yeah, I smashed that, but now I'm stuffed. But I'll just let my heart rate go back down and then I'm going to smash it again. The whole thing's just a grind. Mm. Um, and that's where I know that, you know, I'm really, really struggling um, with with sleep and good quality sleep because, you know, last time I did that, it was hard, but it wasn't that hard. And I think that that's a fairly good indication <laughs> that... And I think as well, Matt, which we keep mentioning quality sleep so i th- there is obviously a difference between sleep and quality sleep there is yeah so i'm assuming correct me if i'm wrong that quality sleep like you could sleep for eight hours but there's only going to be a portion of that eight hours that's actually what they consider quality or or deep sleep oh well, that comes to you know the two main states of sleep being rapid eye mo- rapid eye movement and non-rapid eye movement uh, so the uh, rapid eye movement is the what you, I suppose what you could say is the quality sleep. Right. Okay. Now, in terms of measuring how well you actually or how much of that you're actually getting, there are apps you can get uh, for your phone mm. that will actually measure your quality of sleep each night. Hmm. So the recommendation that I've I would heard of give, those. What's that? Sorry. I've heard of those. I think the Fitbits and that do those as well. Uh, do they? I think so. I've never used one. And the Apple Watches and stuff like that, I think they all do those. Okay. Because uh, I've used an app on my phone called Sleep Cycle. Hmm. Uh, my phone is an Android, but I assume Sleep Cycle is available on iPhone as well. Uh, sleep Cycle is used to measure uh, how much deep sleep you're in each night. So you can sort of measure out, you know, there's sleep, as you said before, there's sleep versus quality sleep. I'm I'm assuming that would be very handy information to find out. Well, and when it comes to like you know really having a successful weight loss journey and, and keeping it off and learning more about yourself, you can't you can't get enough information on what you do, hmm. can you? No. So I know with the Sleep Cycle app, you set it to run overnight, put your phone under your pillow, and it gives you all this data the next morning. Yeah, no, that's really that is a good point. And there is one more question I just want to ask you related to the we just spoke about sleep and workouts so while we're on that topic question for you matt what do you do then if you know you haven't had a great sleep and you're scheduled to do a workout well i'll get to that um i want to sort of touch on just how a lack of sleep can affect your weight loss 
in general? In, we definitely in general. Broadly. Okay, well, let's go there first. I want to I want to just touch on a study that was done uh, in 2010. Mm-hmm. So a study that was done on what what this what the researchers consider to be healthy subjects. Mm-hmm. So by healthy by healthy subjects, their weight was stable for the last three months. Um, they had a particular BMI or less. Now, even though I could. We're not going to talk about BMI. I could okay. get on a rant about BMI, but they had a relatively uh, low BMI. They had no history of sleep or psychiatric, psychiatric disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had no problem sleeping six to nine hours a night. Yep. So these subjects were part of a study where they were restricted to four hours of sleep. Hmm. So what the researchers were looking for was to test what happens to their insulin productivity or insulin sensitivity during a night of sleep restriction. So the results they got were pretty eye-opening for people that want to lose weight. Mm. So these people, on average, the four hours of sleep that they were getting increased their production of glucose, which let's, for the purpose of this podcast, let's say it's kind of like sugar, Glucose production was increased by 22%, hmm. which is a pretty effing big jump. That's huge. Now, their glucose disposal, as in their body dealing with the glucose, mm-hmm. was the rate of their disposal was decreased by 20%. Oh. And their insulin sensitivity rate was decreased by 19 to 25%. They also noticed with these subjects on this sleep deprivation that fat breakdown was significantly decreased. Mm. Now, if you translate that into English, what we're saying is that these people in this, in this controlled study on lack of sleep, their bodies were put into fat gaining mode. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yes. So their, their bodies internally were set up to want or to be predisposed to actually gaining weight. Naturally. Yes. Without even just, anything else. Yep, just by being sleep deprived. Yeah. And that's what I sort of said at the start of the show where I've seen poor sleep patterns single-handedly destroy transformations. On the other hand, I've seen it where it's been uh, addressed make such a tremendous difference. Yeah even like an extra one hour per night. And here's a bit of an interesting little factoid uh, that's been shown when it comes to lack of sleep. Question, I suppose, for you listening and for you too, Courtney. How many people have you heard, and you may have said it yourself, say, oh, I just don't have the willpower? Countless. I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard that. I went to a party... And I went there thinking I wasn't going to have any cake, but I just didn't, didn't have the willpower and I had all the cake. Yes. So it's quite common for people to want to blame you know, their choices on a lack of willpower. However, however, it does look like that a lack of sleep does affect your actual willpower. There was a study done about five years ago. Hmm. Uh, out of UC Berkeley, where they were um, using magnetic resonance imaging 
on people's brains after a night of uh, poor sleep, shall we say. Hmm. And the area of the brain that was affected the most by this poor or lack of sleep was the area responsible for making complex decisions. Mm. Now, another area of the brain that was affected and had heightened activity was the area of the brain responsible for emotion. Right. So if our ability to make complex decisions is down and our emotions are high and we are tired and with that, with that feeling of being tired probably comes a little bit of stress, what does that often lead to? Eating. Emotional eating. Mm-hmm. So this is why I often will, I think, I think, Courtney, you've heard me say this before to yourself as well, as well as other people. No matter how much willpower you think you have, if you take someone who is tired and hungry and show them anything, they'll eat it. Correct. And I've, I've been guilty of this too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think I do have fairly decent willpower when I want to have it, but if I'm tired and, and I haven't eaten... So tired and hungry, you show me a Mars bar, that Mars bar is disappearing. I don't even think you've got to be shown it. I just think when you're tired and you often, a lot of people get emotional when they're tired, naturally. Mm. Um, and so when ho- emotions are heightened, I think just naturally for a lot of people, you crave sugary things. Mm. You, you crave a sugary satisfaction. So I don't even think you have to see it. I think that if you... If you're put in that sort of uh, heightened emotional state for long enough, you're just going to want to you want to eat sugary things, and you're going to go out. And because your willpower is down, and you're tired, and you just don't care, and you know you're emotional, you're just going to go out and buy it. Has that affected you? Yeah, absolutely. It used to happen to me all the time, all the time. I was a, I, I've said it before. I've been a big emotional eater, and a lot of that came from being down or being unhappy, um, but definitely what contributed to those states was my poor sleeping patterns. You know, you look back on it now, at the time, I would never have thought that that was affecting me. But you look back on it with what you know now, and you say, well, yeah, it definitely would have been, because I used to stay up really late. And I would stay up past past the point of being tired. So I knew I was tired, and I still didn't go to bed. And I would just stay up so late and then I'd have to get up early and I would be at work or I'd be doing something. You know, these are back in the days where I didn't even work night shifts at the time. I didn't even work those sort of late time frames. I worked on weekends but they were always days. But I was always out on the road. I was driving to places. I was making deliveries. I was setting things up. I was making pickups. And so, you know, it wouldn't be, you know, uncommon for me to be on the road from 8 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock in the afternoon, mm. just going from A to B to C to D. Um, and so, of course, you know, that makes you tired. And you, I, I would just crave sugary foods. I've always craved sugary foods when I've been tired or emotional. And I think just naturally I get quite emotional when I'm tired. So could we then potentially agree that if you are suffering from some cravings mm. and you think you have poor willpower, a way to address that might actually be just see if you can get a bit more sleep each night. Yeah, we'll definitely look at the cause for sure. And are you tired? 
Because, yeah, I mean, as I said, if you're anything like me, once you get tired, you get a little bit emotional I can and also, yeah. you crave sugar. Well, I guess I could also say that for quite a few people, um, being tired is normal. Mm. And you may not realize just how tired you are as a state of being until you do something about it to see what happens. I would 100% agree with that because I don't think I ever realized how tired I used to be. Until you weren't. Until I wasn't. And now when I have really busy weeks and where I don't get enough sleep or I just run myself into the ground doing too many things, I, oh man, I feel it. It really knocks me about now. And I Mm. think it's because I go consistently week to week having very good sleep and I'm more on top of it now. Those weeks where you're not on top of it, it seems to knock you for a six way worse than it did before. Mm. So Bit definitely. A, so pro tip there, maybe if you find that you're struggling with your cravings and you're probably, you know, with that, you might be beating yourself up thinking you've got no willpower. There might be hope yet. You might just need an extra hour, half an hour to an hour's night of sleep. Yeah. And that half an hour to an hour extra can make quite a difference as I can attest to. I personally, from my own, my own sort of standpoint, believe that at least for me, Every hour of sleep I get before midnight is worth two hours afterwards. 100% agree. I, I know that for myself to be a fact. Same. I think there's a big difference for me getting getting eight hours of sleep, going to bed at around 9, 10 o'clock at night. With versus midnight. Versus midnight. If I get eight hours of sleep, 12 from midnight to 8 a.m. or say 10 p.m. to 6 p.m., the difference is pronounced. Yeah. I can feel it the moment I wake up. Yeah. And you feel it getting out of bed. You just feel it in your legs. Yeah. Now, you asked before, Courtney, about how it may affect uh, training sessions. Yeah, because obviously there's a lot of people out there that may say, look, you know, for, for, for whatever reason, may not be like self-inflicted like mine used to be, where I just used to stay up when I knew I should have gone to bed. Some people, you know, certain things happen where they didn't get the sleep that they should have got. There's obviously parents out there that, you know, they can't, control that they have to get up for their children in the night or something happens and if you're scheduled for an intense training session the next day do you do it or do you not do it well there was a study done some time ago uh actually looking at this so it was testing out uh people who were sleep deprived and getting asking them to perform an intense exercise session at either 6 a.m. the next day or 6 p.m. the next day. Hmm. Uh, so obviously quite a bit of a difference there in time. And so the way they... Now, to be fair, let's keep this thing as transparent as possible. The subjects were tested during a sprint cycle, or like you know, on, a, on a bike, but doing maximum level sprints on a bike. Hmm. So it's still an intense session. So for the, sake of, for the sake of this, it's worth bringing up. So they'll put on a sprint cycle test at either 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. the following day. Now, what they were looking for was, you know, how much power they were putting out in terms of maximum amount of power and average amount of power, whether they were doing it at 6 p.m. or 6 a.m. Hmm. on very little sleep the night before. Yeah. What they found was that the people that exercised at 6 a.m., uh, performed just as well with good sleep or dodgy sleep the night before. 
Right. But the 6pm people hit the wall. Right. So the conclusion being there, if you're having the occasional, you know, you might have a night out. Yeah. Or you might have, like if, you, if you're parents and you, you might have a newborn child who's having some sleeping issues, but you've got to get to the gym. Do it in the morning. You might want to have a crack in the morning. Mm. Now, can I just get in front of this one? What I'm not saying here is that, cool, you'll be fine. Don't get any sleep and train first thing in the morning. I can speak to this mm. from my own personal experience. Sometimes you can have it where you might be able to get away with it one, two, maybe three days in a row. Sooner or later, it hits you. Yeah, it'll catch up with you. I know, I know for me, because I can attest to this, if I work out straight up, straight up in the morning after, let's say, a dodgy night's sleep, um, I can still go okay. In the afternoon, I'm completely gone. However, for me, if I have two nights of poor sleep in a row, on day three, I'm dead. I'm a zombie. Yeah. No matter what I do, no matter when I do it, I'm gone. So what I'm not saying here is, oh, green light, you got a shitty sleep, just work out in the morning. It'll catch you sooner or later. Mm. But, you know, none of us have perfect sleep. None of us ever will. No. Shit's going to happen. A bad night, a night out, working late, sometimes stress. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Just go to the gym in the morning and it should, it should keep you going for this as a once-off sort of thing. Cool. Does that, does that help? Yep, that definitely helps. Does that make sense? It does. So we sort of covered off on that a lack of sleep you know from and it's anecdotally but we can speak to this from our you know our experience can really affect your training performance mm-hmm. i know from my personal standpoint it can definitely affect um rational thought yeah which affects productivity yes i just don't work as well on poor sleep we've also covered off that it can have a pretty disastrous effect uh, on things like cravings and willpower. Yes. And ultimately can affect and sabotage your weight loss goals. Mm-hmm. Now, even though at the start of the episode, I did say that the average adult should be aiming for between 7.5 to 9 hours of sleep every night, the question might be asked, what if you're someone who's getting an average of 6 hours of sleep? Yeah. Now... Going from six hours in terms of the way you you might have your life scheduled, going from six to say nine hours a night, that could be a stretch. And I understand that. So you might try going from say six hours a night of sleep to six and a half to seven. Mm. And just see what difference that makes. Yeah. Now I've done this experiment with clients where it's like, hey, just try to get between half an hour to an hour's extra sleep a night, which might bring them up from six hours of sleep to seven. And then I get them to tell me what difference they feel after a week. And the difference can be pronounced. See, so don't try and bite all this thing off at once. Mm. Just, try, just try going to bed half an hour earlier if you think it's affecting you in this way. Yep. That alone can make the difference. And that's something that I have been conscious of myself. Because I said before when I was younger, my sleep patterns were awful. Mm. And it, it was, a very rare night for me was going to bed before midnight. And I mean very rare. Mm where that habit has been one I've been working on over years now. And something that my wife, beautiful wife, <laughs> can attest to, it's very easy for me to stay up late still. Yes. Isn't it? Yes. 
because I have a hobby that often keeps me up looking at the TV for a couple of hours. Anyone that knows me knows I love playing computer games. Um, always have, always will. It just, I always, I always enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It decompresses me. However, time can fly by. If you listening have any interest in video games, you'll know what I mean when you say some games can take an hour or take six hours and make it feel like one hour. I think that's for a lot of people's hobbies though. Can They can lose track of time for sure. when they're doing them, whether yeah. they're gaming or whatever. So I think in those sort of situations, it's something to be aware of and make sure that you have someone in the house that's, that's going to tell you when it's bedtime or you set an alarm on your phone or something like well, that. Well, I've done that both. You. I've yeah. done both. Um, I've had and have an alarm in my phone that when I turn it on will go off at 10 o'clock, mm. which means I should be in bed. Yeah. Now, if that doesn't, if I've somehow not set that, I have another alarm that goes off. Mm. Courtney. That's me. <laughs> so I've actually asked Courtney to help me. So to, you know, get on my back if need be. Mm. Say, hey, bedtime, big boy, let's go. Yeah. And I would, I, I would say I've been improving quite a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Where I'm getting way more sleep now before midnight. Um, or, you know, often I'm the one saying, let's go to bed. Mm. So there are multiple strategies that you can implement. Now, now I, can, I can sort of get behind asking the person you live with or setting an alarm in your phone. But as I said... If you think you're struggling with this, just try an extra half an hour. Half an hour to an hour can make a a tremendous difference. 100%. Any any closing points you want to make there, Courtney? No, I just think it's it's something that needs to be noted. It's something that we spoke about uh, in the introduction to this episode that it's not exactly the first thing that you think of, but it's just one of those percent it's not really a one percenter because it's even more than that but you know what i mean when i say it's like one of those one percenters people treat it like a one percenter that it makes a difference well just a bit of um inside information from from a trainer's perspective uh when the clients that we work with uh submit their seven day recordings we also get them to take note of the time they go to sleep and wake up each morning Mm. Because we're, also, we're not just looking at what they're eating or when they're eating it. We're looking at their sleep patterns because of the effect that this thing can have. Yes. So I have seen it with people where they are leading very healthy lifestyles, regular exercise. They're not abusing their body with their food, but they're not changing. Yeah. Which means you usually will look at one or two things, stress or sleep. Yes. Or often both. Yes. So uh, on that note, I think we'll put a bow on that discussion. 100%. And we will move on to an email. Email time. Yep. Thank you. Cue the music. Uh, podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com is where you can and you should email us. Yes. Because we love getting emails. We do. You can also uh, reach us through our Facebook page, which originally enough is called The Weight Loss Podcast. Yes. Who would have guessed that? I know. Amazing. Uh, so podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com. We got an email from Lauren. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you, Lauren. Now, Lauren sent through a very uh, lengthy and I, I would say a very personal email. Yeah, definitely. Now, I'm not going to cover off on the whole thing here. I'm going to get straight to the, uh, the meat and veg of the discussion. But needless to say, Lauren, your email is fantastic and yes. very touching and very personal. Um, but the two questions that you've asked are absolutely here worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Question number one. Yep. 
and I'll get you to uh, give your first impressions on this one, Courtney. Yes. What would your advice be to someone who has lost weight and then gained it all back and is now trying to get back to that target again? My, I've done this and I've seen a lot of people do this and I've seen people succeed at doing this and I've seen people fail and just quit. And I truly think the difference is admitting what you've done and getting over it. And I'll explain why I say that. So the, the, the thing that a lot of people do is that they make mistakes and they can't get over them. So losing weight and then gaining back again, that is a mistake. It is not a failure or it's not, you know, all of these sort of things that your brain tries to tell you that it is. It's a mistake. You've made a mistake. And so you've got two options when it comes to this. You can either accept what's happened is a mistake. It's a, well, shit, that sucks moment. What am I going to do about it from here? And move on and fix it. Or you can sit there and you can continue to dwell on what's happened, what went wrong, why it went wrong, the whole thing's stuffed, it's never going to be that good again, I've stuffed the whole thing up, and yeah, it's daunting to think about going through the process again where you've got to lose all that weight plus more, because generally speaking, when you put weight back on, you usually put more on than you did before. But it is a daunting process to, to look at. But again, you sort of got one or two options. You can either look at it for, until the end of time and it's not going to do anything. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to fix itself. Or you can accept what's happened. You can give yourself a break and say, you know what? You made a mistake. Pull your socks up. Let's get in the gym and let's fix it. And that is the difference between the people that I've seen go through this mistake and succeed and fail. Because the people that do nothing and the people that can't get out of their own way and refuse to admit the mistake that they've made will just sit there constantly looking for excuses as to what's happened and do nothing to try to fix it. Boom. Mm. Uh, I have a slightly different answer to that from from my perspective. To me, if someone has uh, lost weight and then gained it all back, to me, that the first thing I think of is, well the good habits weren't in place long enough mm. or the way the weight was lost was unsustainable and didn't actually address long-term habitual issues that need to be addressed to sustain the loss. Yeah, the process. So the advice that I would give, because I'm not going to parrot what Courtney said, even though what you said was fantastic. And um, even though I know what you're going to say and I totally agree as well with my, it. My advice to someone who's regained or their lost weight is that you have to look at your habits. Yeah. When, when doing this again, because the weight loss, weight gain, weight loss, weight regain cycle is only going to get harder as you get older and your metabolism changes. Yep. So there, there are indeed uh, studies out there that have shown that the, the weight loss, weight regain cycle, the weight loss every time does get harder. Yeah. Because it does, it does take a toll on your metabolism and we're only getting older which means things are only changing. Hmm. So to me, there's a, a habit issue at play here where the habits haven't been addressed. Well, it also might mean that the original way that the person lost the weight might be unsustainable. Absolutely. So it may, it may not even be worth reconsidering and looking at that 
and you may have to look at the process that you tried in the first place and think well, why why did you go back? As well, Matt said, is it that you didn't do it for long enough and the habits didn't survive the process, or is it just that it didn't matter how hard you tried, it's unsustainable? Or well, the question I was going to ask that's worth looking at here is the process that was used to lose the weight originally. Did it at all attempt to address your habits Mm. or was it just a, here's your exercise plan, here's your meal plan diet, go for it? Yeah. Because I know for a fact that shit's going to fail. Well, yeah. So if the process that was used originally to lose the weight was not addressing your habits, then a new process needs to be looked at that does address your habits because as we've discussed in some previous episodes about habits, who would have guessed I was going to say that, uh, they are the critical part of addressing someone's behavioral, issue, behavioral issues long-term when it comes to weight loss. Yep. Second question. Yes. Which I think ties into the first one. I also started, brackets again, Jillian Michaels' 30-day shred. I lost eight inches from my hips last time. I recently listened to your podcast, which highlighted that high-intensity training does more for you than doing what makes you comfortable. I assume you may have heard of The Shred. What do you think? Courtney, Jillian Michaels' 30-Day Shred. Tell me why it's so good. I've never heard of it, to be honest with you, Lauren. Um, And it probably just goes with every other sort of 30-day thing out there i've never actually to be honest with you i haven't actually heard of a lot of 30 days 28 days seems to be the new it thing um but anyway i haven't heard of the shred you know who julia michaels is yeah yeah i know who she is she was on the biggest loser the u.s yeah that's right version yeah she's like the u.s version the australian version is like the um michelle Michelle bridges Bridges. Yeah. yeah hotshot american trainer yeah so great um But nothing's going to happen in 30 days. Nothing's going to happen in 60 days. That's going to actually stick with you. So I think Matt highlighted it in the question, which was in brackets, that you're doing this again. Um, Which is fine. But the idea then is, is that hopefully every time you do this, you're learning how to how about nutrition and you're learning about exercise and why you're doing it and what you should be eating and why and you're learning how to develop great new habits and how to sustain great new habits into your lifestyle in a month as long as you're learning those things you could do the 30-day shred over and over and over again for 12 months of the year but I suspect you're not learning those things and I suspect that in this 30-day shred to get Because the idea of these 30-day things is to get the most result possible in the shortest amount of time. Therefore, they've got something to actually advertise and show for their product. So what I would assume that this 30-day shred is is doing is giving you um, some sort of meal plan to follow, exercise plan to follow, and it is... it is designed to get you the most amount of results in the shortest amount of time. But in the process, it's not actually teaching you anything. So therefore, there's no habits being developed. There's no education on why you're eating certain foods, while you're doing certain exercises. It's more of a case of just do this, eat this, 
and you'll get a result in 30 days, which is fine if you've only got 30 days to reach your goal and then you don't give a shit. Most people care beyond the 30 days. So that is where the again part comes in because you're having to do the same thing over and over again to sustain the results. And that in itself is going to be unsustainable for the rest of your life. So that that's where the 30-day shred thing is problematic. All right. I've um, just had a look on Google. I actually looked up the 30-day shred. It's a DVD. Ah. Um, DVD still exists apparently. Right. Uh, it's a 30-day uh, exercise program. Mm. Uh, a home-based uh, exercise program that requires very little equipment. Uh, and apparently promises to lose 20 pounds in 30 days. 20 pounds of what remains to be seen. So my um, my thoughts, I've got, now that I actually know what it is, uh, I've got two thoughts on Jillian Michaels' 30-day shred. The first being 30 days means it's a load of shit, uh, just because you can't, what, what changes in 30 days? So if someone loses 20 pounds in 30 days, I would say fantastic. If you don't eat for 30 days, you'll also lose weight. Um, So 20 pounds of what remains to be seen. However, now that from a trainer's perspective here, in 30 days, that's, you can't even structure a program. Like where's the progression? For, For a lot of people, 30 days is the time needed for their nervous system to get used to the movements they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, also, the issue that I personally have with it, because no doubt being a, a home-based workout, it's going to be promoted as being, well, this will replace you having to go to the gym. Well, unfortunately, science says that structured weight training is the most effective way to lose weight. Mm. So unless Jillian is going to come out there and install a, uh, a gym there at your home, it's going to have some drawbacks. I think that potentially if we're looking at high intensity workouts done from home that are more aerobics based, that this thing could potentially be a good little accessory to a structured weight training program. 100%. Because we could do that with what we do. Oh yeah. We could make use of that. But if we're doing it as the only form of exercise, there's a limit you're going to hit. Does she do nutrition as part of her DVD? No. Oh, it's just exercise? Yeah. Oh, okay. So she doesn't actually tell you what to eat. No, you probably pay more for that, I guess. Uh huh. I don't know. All right. Um, but it is uh, it is a DVD based uh, workout program. So I would say that the okay, look, the thirty day marketing shits me to tears. All right, I fucking hate it. Yeah. I fucking hate it. Silly marketing. Because no one, and I mean no one, is going to change their problems and improve years worth of problems in thirty days. Like, forget it. How long do the workouts go for? I, well, let's see what I can find here. That would be the only other thing is, but in terms of high intensity training, twenty eight um, minutes. Oh, perfect. So you know, in terms of high intensity training, yeah, awesome. So these could actually be very, very good intense cardio sessions. Intense, intense cardio sessions, awesome. I would just be very, very uh, cautious of listening to the marketing around these sort of products. Um, they, of course, are going to use every it word or an it phrase and promise everything underneath the sun. You have to take this sort of stuff for what it is. Is it good high-intensity workouts that you can do at home in a productive amount of time, which is 28 minutes? Awesome. Tick. Well, but as Matt said, 
you'd want to use this as an accessory. To your weight training. Because you'd still need weight training and you still need to be developing and looking at um, bringing in some great habits in terms of your food. Because remember, the fact that you've put on weight over the years isn't because you didn't do the Julian Michaels 30-day shred. It's because of the stuff we eat. So that still needs to be a high priority of developing new habits, getting some education in, and that with an accessory to this is where then you can turn this into a long-term style game changer. And you know, I wouldn't worry about what it's for, like what it's bloody called the thirty-day um, shred. I've just read here that. Obviously, being twenty-eight minutes, the workouts are pretty intense, which I'm, I'm, Perfect. I'm, I'm all for that. But they also involve uh, plyometric exercises. Oh, you know plyometrics are. Yeah, I do. Now, um, having having done a number of uh, a number of sort of educational uh, qualifications on this topic over the years, I know that for most people, for the for people listening to this podcast. You shouldn't be doing plyometric exercises until you can bench press double your body weight, until you can squat, sorry, bench press 1.5 times your body weight and squat and deadlift double your body weight, mm. which would pretty much be no one except for you and me, just about. Plyometric exercises are to unconditioned, overweight people. There's a term I've got for that, dangerous. Yeah, and uh, I think then you start to start to blur the lines between weight training and cardio. You can't really blur it. It's one or the other, isn't it? So it is one or the other. Um, so this is where a lot of these sort of things try to blur the line and they try to put weight training in with cardio to make it a one thing and it's supposed to be more convenient for people and you can just do this one workout and it covers mm. everything. Well, but look... It doesn't, unfortunately, really work that way. Without without getting into too many specifics and making this a five-hour-long podcast, my first impressions are that the Jillian Michaels 30-day shred I would personally be using for a client in conjunction with a structured progressive overload-based weight training program because intense cardio is not weight training. It never can be. It never will be. It's just the way the body works. Mm-hmm. So a great accessory, but using it as the only thing, uh, there are limitations. So on uh, on that note, let's wrap that one up. Thank you again, Lauren. Podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com is where you will email us. Yes. Just do what we say. Yes. So Courtney, great episode. Yes, we are done for another day. Thanks for listening this far in. Obviously, you liked it if you've listened to all the way to the end. And if you, if you, if you aren't listening right now, well, fuck you. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Yeah, see ya. Get more free tips, listen to previous episodes, and contact Matt and Courtney at theweightlosspodcast.com.